Galad. Lauren. Galad, have you ever considered getting a tattoo in the metaverse? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wanted to get one on my virtual calf, but apparently you have no legs in the metaverse. (laughs) That's true, but you still have a whole upper body that you could ink up if you want to. Gotta keep that clean. (laughs) All right, are we going to spend another episode talking about the metaverse? Sounds like it. Let's do it. Hey everyone, welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. My usual co-host, Michael Kalori, is out this week. Mike, we miss you. But there is someone else here to co-host with me in case our cold open didn't tip you off. Regular listeners will know him as the greatest thing since sliced lemons. Wired senior writer, Gilad Edelman. Hi, Gilad. Hey, guys. So we're also joined this week by Wired senior associate reviews editor, Adrian So. Hey, Adrian. Hi, guys. Okay, so we've been talking about the metaverse a lot on this podcast. We've speculated about what the future of this weird virtual world might be. We've even taken some virtual meetings here and there. But Adrian has now upped the ante a little bit. Um, Let me just say, by the way, that a lot of this conversation is going to revolve around Facebook's virtual reality division, uh, which we used to call Oculus, and now it's Meta. It's the Meta Quest 2 headset, but I might still say Oculus from time to time, so please forgive me if I slip up. Okay, so this week, Adrian, you wrote a story about how your entire family <laughs> has been sucked into the metaverse. The headline alone is just enough to make you stop and say, what? So I guess my first question is, are they okay? Ah, uh, ha, ha. Is anyone who is the parent of small, unvaccinated children okay? And the answer is, uh, I don't know. We're kind of doing our best right now. Um, Would you like to just pause and scream? Because we, we have opportunity to do this on the show. We can okay, make up well, the rules. Yeah, we'll just redact it a little bit. Um, yeah. Wait, Lauren, you told <laughs> me specifically not to scream. That was just for you, Galad, because you are not the parent of small, unvaccinated children. So shh, for now. None that we're aware of. Adrian, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> um, I have two kids and my six-year-old is vaccinated and my four-year-old is unvaccinated. Um, so we have been kind of, you know, keeping things locked down a little bit over here since they're, they're both back in school and daycare. But, um, the idea of just, you know, trotting around to gymnastics, gymnastics lessons and swimming lessons right now with an unvaccinated kid in the middle of the Omicron surge is really nerve wracking. So, um, instead of, you know, you know, walking around actual reality, uh, we have been in virtual, we have been in virtual reality. It turns out you can tighten the band on the MetaQuest 2 headset. You can tighten it small enough to fit on a six-year-old. So if there's any parents uh, out there, like, pro- yeah, this is a good parenting tip for you. It's a... <laughs> If you happen to have a headset available. Now, as one of our Top Gear editors, you have just seemingly an endless supply of gear coming into your home. You have all the games and the gizmos and the gadgets and everything. So this would seem like the perfect diversion, right? Um, A lot of people are playing video games anyway, but you happen to have the MetaQuest 2 headset. So uh, what was the point at which you said, okay, this is the thing. This is the thing I'm going to strap on my kid's head. I guess I would like to kind of 
start off by saying that I got the Quest 2 headset and I got it with you, Lauren, originally. <laughs> like, I feel like the entry point that a lot of people are seeing for people who are not gamers is that you're going to want to enter virtual reality through some non-gamery way. You know, they're just like, okay, we're going to meditate or okay, we're going to work out. Like, these are the, these are like kind of the, traditional like the approaches that have been taken thus far to get people into gaming is like, oh, we're going to gamify something that you already do. And that's going to attract someone who is not, you know, a cash, a traditional gamery type person. And what everybody is forgetting about this is that games are awesome. People have been like working on them for decades, specifically to make them sticky. You know, they're designed to trap and retain people and buy add-ons and just like they're specifically designed to suck you in and keep you in there for a long time adrian will you, and the adjective you used for this was what what did you say awesome Sticky. amazing it, <laughs> instead of terrifying <laughs> yeah it's like yeah i mean i guess it was puzzling places was the first time was the first game that i tried and it's this beautiful game they uh take 3D models of um, built of like these enormous buildings, like beautiful Swiss cathedrals, and you can manipulate them in virtual reality and break them up into like 400 pieces and then painstakingly assemble all these beautiful buildings and then walk through like the little tunnels or the little, you know, coastal biarritz or whatever. And uh, because I was in my house and didn't have very much else to do, I would just put on the headset and um just leave it on there <laughs> like and i know that the big problem one of the big hurdles with the headset is that when your eyes don't match up what's happening to your body you get kind of you know you get kind of nauseated you get You're seasick like, yeah you get seasick but then i have this big bag of gummy chews that i had from when i was pregnant with my kids so you can just start popping anti-nausea gummy chews while you're while you're puzzling places for wait are you saying you hours? get totally stoned when you're playing in your vr games they're are gummy they're ginger they're little ginger juice oh, not so no yeah. thc involved no i was not Ooh, although that's a good idea galad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm remembering that actually yeah talk um, to me 20 years ago <laughs> did you have a VR headset 20 years ago? They didn't, got... ex they didn't exist, but you know, as far as the, the co magic combination of THC and video games, uh, the, you know, the, the high school age boys sort of uh, leading at the, kind of at the cutting edge of that. Well, see, this is why it's interesting to me because I'm coming to gaming from like a totally different perspective than the vast majority of the other members of our team who have been playing games for decades. And then I kind of like fell into it at the start of the pandemic. And at first we started playing like at night, like after the kids had gone to sleep. But if you're just in your house, like all day, it's so easy to just like put the headset on, you know, like, I'm just going to puzzle for like 30 minutes or something. And our six year old just kept seeing us sneak off to puzzle for a little bit. And then at uh, some point, a couple of weeks ago, she wanted to take a turn. She's not I mean, she's not quite coordinated enough to do puzzling. So I looked up a couple of VR things that she, that I thought she might be able to do. Um, rock climbing also didn't work. Virtual rock climbing didn't work, but, uh, she loves to draw and Google's tilt brush is actually a really great 
a really great and I was like shocked by how quickly she picked it up. And I don't know if like two years of virtual learning on and off has contributed to this, but she can put on the headset and manipulate the tools with her left hand. And like, she can, she can put up rainbows. She can make, she can like dot falling snowflakes all around her. Like she has a, she has a really great time in, in Tiltbrush. So now she has her little bit of dedicated VR time. Only half an hour parenting cops don't come after me. I'm sorry. <laughs> and in your story on wire.com, you had a really funny comment to share. Or rather, it was your husband's comment about how reality is just better. So it sounds like maybe not all of the family shared your enthusiasm or Shannon's enthusiasm. Yeah, that was actually in the first month or so when I had the headset and I was trying to, you know, experience virtual reality as a non-gamery type person um, with, you know, with meditation or with like virtual conference rooms or something and just totally finding it unappealing. And Wait, it kind Adrian, of sorry, can you clarify this non-gamer type person? Because I think two days ago you were going on and on to me about this game designer of your favorite multiplayer shoot first person shooting game so i definitely walked away from that conversation being like okay adrian's a gamer good to know i oh my gosh this is like a whole other Called out i know this is like a whole other podcast glide <laughs> where i expose who... your lies <laughs> oh my god about who is or isn't allowed to call themselves a gamer like how mm. many how many hours per week and what do you have to look like in order to be like a gamers tm or whatever but um yeah i don't adrian i think you're a gamer i think based on my brief experience playing in the metaverse with you where you and uh Syrah mueller and i have done things like yeah boxing games and whatnot and now we're on this chat thread where like every other night you and Syra are like, want to go play this, you know, insert <laughs> game title here that I don't recognize. That's basically like car crash shooter theft auto call of war duty game. <laughs> and I'm like, you guys have fun. I, I, you know, I, but and then like you rave about it. So I'm like, I think they're gamers. I, I think, think Adrian's gamers saying TM. she's not a gamer. Gamers. She just games a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you mentioned that despite the fact that your family is sucked into the metaverse, you did you have res restrictions for your kids in terms of how long they can be in the headset. But I'm wondering if you have a sense of whether the boredom curve with virtual reality is any different from traditional console games or PC games. I mean, as well, kids, like we used to play for hours, right? Like we had the original NES and um, we had an Atari at one point. God, I'm dating myself. Um, we had like the Super Nintendo, uh, maybe it was the Nintendo 64, I'm trying to remember. We had the Power Pad. We had a bunch of different gaming consoles and we were really into it and we'd spend hours doing this. But with VR, you've got this thing on your face and I like to say when I pull the VR headset off, the, the MetaQuest 2, I actually feel my forehead breathe a sigh of relief. Like, oh. It's so nice to stop playing as fun as it is to play. So I'm wondering like if you see in your experience now that you're now that you're all up there in Portland, but actually living in the metaverse. <laughs> if there's is, like there's like a moment where you're like, okay, now we're bored with this. It is definitely the hardware aspect, but um like I now know that the battery on the quest two runs about two and a half, three hours. So that the, uh, yeah, that is, that is how long 
I can keep the headset on. <laughs> that that is my boredom curve, and it, this is purely a hardware problem because it's extremely un it's extremely uncomfortable. But you know, I I, I think CBD chews might actually help with that too. So <laughs> I'm just gonna go medicate myself some more. <laughs> Claude, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I I think you know it's it's I I do want to interject that while it's it's fun to talk about the metaverse we're really what we're talking about right now is 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 gaming right it's immersive mm -hmm. 3d vr gaming and when if if that's what we're talking about then metaverse is just and lauren you've written this is 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 just new branding on a familiar idea and um the 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 much more kind of radical promise being made about the so-called metaverse is that you're going to be you know, embodied in digital space, and and it can be massively social, and you can do all these kinds of interactions with people, with strangers, with people you know, um, in virtual worlds that are not that that are much more immersive and expansive, um, and sort of persistent than okay, I'm going to put this thing on and I'm going to play a game, I'm going to put a puzzle together or whatever. Um, but I think that where the real action is is not VR at all. That to the extent that we should be thinking about a company like Meta uh, and and what and what their intentions are for this thing ca called the metaverse, it's really about AR, because we know that this is a company that makes all its money by monetizing people's attention and showing them ads. And so, if I'm if I'm thinking just kind of Occam's razor, um, what's what's their what's the thing that they're they're most likely to want to achieve in the medium shorter medium term is just having more and more of our attention. So if the glasses that you were wearing, Adrian, had your Instagram feed scrolling through them, that would have your attention and there would be more opportunity to show you ads. So I actually think that like wearable AR stuff is the bigger um, like business play behind this thing called metaverse um, as opposed to kind of the near future of VR gaming. Galad, let's put a pin in that because you raised some really great points and I want to ask you about that in the second half of the show. But we're going to take a really quick break and then we come back. We are going to talk about uh, both privacy in the metaverse and then what the future of advertising looks like in this crazy new world. Okay, welcome back. So we just talked a lot about how Adrian's family has been sucked into the metaverse, which is to say, while they've been cooped up at home during this crazy time, they've been playing a lot of MetaQuest 2 games. And it's been fun and weird and interesting. But porting into a virtual world also presents some new privacy concerns, and it raises a lot of important questions about how ultimately these experiences will be monetized. Because, I mean, there's no real way to separate this whole thing from Facebook at least for now. I mean, you actually have to log into the MetaQuest 2 via a Facebook account for now, even though the company says that they're going to change that. But this is a Facebook product. So Galad, I want to get back to you about what you started to say about advertising in a virtual or augmented world. But first, Adrian, as you were you know, putting this headset on your kids, and giving them this experience of the, the quote unquote metaverse, did you have any qualms about having them play in this virtual Facebookian space? Um, not particularly because, um, well, first the headset, you can cast the Quest 2 headset to the television so I can see everything that they're doing. And I'm the only, and they are logged in under my account. The actual annoying part is that 
uh, it's a pretty significant hurdle because my husband refuses to get a Facebook account because of these privacy concerns. So he, uh, so he, we can only play on one headset. We can't play multiplayer VR games because he refuses to get a Facebook account. And now Facebook knows that I have logged a truly pathological number of hours of puzzling places. And it's not just me. There should be a disclaimer. I should be able to put a disclaimer there. So my account is shielding my daughter. I'm not really, I haven't really gotten to the point where she has her own social media accounts yet. So. And does Facebook actually, or Meta, I should say, um, actually put any restrictions on who is supposed to be using the MetaQuest 2 headset? Is it like 13 and older, that sort of thing? So you can't have a Facebook account if you're under 13, which means you can't own a Quest 2 headset. If You can't own a Quest 2 headset under your own account until until you're 13. So woe for all the parents who gifted their 10 and 11-year-olds a Quest 2 this year. An interesting question here is, you know, whether it's AR or VR, like, let's even stipulate that that this grand vision of the, you know, persistent, immersive, social, virtual reality takes shape. Is it going to be something that is within Meta Corporation's walled garden, the way that its existing properties are now? So, Galad, you recently spoke with the creator of Second Life. Some of you listening to this will be like, what's Second Life? And others who are a little bit more old school internet folks will be like, oh yeah, Second Life. Uh, this is Philip Rosedale. There's a great Q&A with him on Wired.com, so go check that out. But he talked a little bit about the challenges with um, making the quote unquote metaverse you know, more mainstream. What are these challenges as he identifies them? Second Life, for those who aren't familiar with it, is a, uh, a game, although at the time, Philip and his team resisted it being labeled a game, something that he kind of chuckles about now. But it launched in 2003, so nearly 20 years ago. And it was this very novel idea where you would just go in, kind of like The Sims or something, except there was really like nothing gamified about it. You, it was just a world, and you went in and with an avatar, and you could build stuff, and you could buy and sell stuff. And a, it, it attracted a small but very loyal following of people who kind of treated the name of the game very literally and had sort of a life in that world that for for whatever reason was more appealing to them uh, than than their quote-unquote real life. And so he's got, um, Philip has a lot of perspective on what goes into building uh, virtual worlds. And after working at Second Life, he founded a spatial audio company, which is what he's been working on most recently. And that is very relevant here. So I asked him, what are the barriers to making uh, this work when it comes to uh, a, a a big immersive social VR world? And he, he, he started by naming three things. The first is uh, very technical, nonverbal expressions. It's really hard so far to capture something like nodding at someone or smiling or winking or leaning, you know, body language. Um, and it's it's extra hard with headsets. It's, it's worse with headsets than with other ways of capturing motion. Um, the second one is what he's been specializing in, which is spatial audio, 3D audio, where if you really want to simulate uh, a social setting, uh, the way Zoom does it, which is what we're using now, is really not good enough because you you need crosstalk. You need to be able to hear, oh, somebody's talking about to somebody else over my right shoulder. And then the third thing that he mentioned um, is 
having a lot of people in the same place. So that's a technological limitation um, so far. So even even Meta's flagship uh, Horizon Worlds, he said, can't have more than 20 people in one place. And if you want to simulate something like a concert or... Um, you know, and, and you know, a, a, a college lecture or something like that. You're going to need to find a way to have quite a few more people in the same shared virtual space than is technologically possible now. Okay, these seem like really valid challenges, and Philip's been doing this for a long time, so let's give him credit where credit's due. But um, this whole idea of like how many people can we cram into a metaverse space at once, all I keep thinking about, particularly as a journalist, is I don't know, my brain just sort of goes into this like opsec mode where I'm like, if we had a bunch of people getting together in your backyard or my apartment or in the office or something, provided there are these days there are cameras around, there are smart speakers around, um, it just feels like being in person is inherently more secure and more private for the most part. Whereas like when you have, you know, 20 people gathering and I've had this experience in like virtual press briefings, putting on Oculus headset, excuse me, meta headset and like popping into an app like Arthur VR um, and meeting with people and standing on this like this roof deck type environment where we had like little virtual cocktails in our weird little virtual hands. Um, it's like literally everything you do is is internet connected and has the potential to be recorded and you're leaving a digital footprint. And that to me is just so wild sometimes. Yeah, and and that's why getting back to your question of what the business model is going to be for this, um, you know, given that Meta is a company that makes all its money from selling behaviorally targeted ads and that is a business model that requires constant surveillance of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, you can imagine a pretty unpleasant future and, and, and Philip Rosedale is very freaked out about this prospect, um, which is why he's glad that these technological barriers still exist for now. Um, you can imagine a situation where, you know, our be that, that business model is imported into virtual reality or, as I suspect, uh, augmented reality. But either way, where, you know, it, it might be hard to imagine now if you're thinking about I'm playing a puzzle game. But if you imagine a much more richly developed world, there's no reason that that world that you're interacting with can't be algorithmically uh, optimized for your engagement while you're in it. So there's, you know, in other words, there's no reason to expect that everybody's going to be seeing and interacting with the exact same thing at all times. And so the, the prospect of tailoring a virtual world to each individual user to keep them more engaged with all the pathologies that we know engagement-based algorithmic ranking already produces when it's just a social feed. That is kind of a freaky thing to think about. So when you talked to Philip Rosedale about the monetization of the metaverse, did Web3 come into the conversation at all? What's the distinction there between the metaverse and Web3 if there is one? And then if you did talk about Web3, then how does he feel about, here's another buzzword, everyone take a shot, the blockchain? We did talk, I'm not sure that the word Web3 came up, I'd have to check the transcript, but we did talk about how the world that Second Life built, what lessons, if any, that, that might have for the current moment where there is a lot of overlap between the two buzzwords, Metaverse and Web3. Web3, as a refresher for listeners, basically refers to this idea that uh, there will be a, the next phase of the web will be very decentralized because it will be built on blockchain technology. 
Mm-hmm. Ooh. And, and it won't so, be in the hands of just a few large companies that basically can control the internet or our top layer experiences of the internet now. Right, exactly. It's sort of a utopian vision of that, that like all utopian visions is unlikely to play out in the way that the utopians are describing it. But then, then once we go down a layer from Web3, there's all these sub buzzwords like NFTs, which everyone has heard a lot about by now. And um, the idea here, the, the one place of overlap is that NFTs, which are um, goods or tokens that, that live on the blockchain and ownership is passed along a blockchain and recorded uh, so that you can make digital goods scarce. People see that as a really appetizing way to uh, make money and create economies in virtual space. So Second Life is way ahead on this. It's always had uh, an economy within its virtual world. And the difference is that um, they built this before blockchain existed. And so instead of putting all your, uh, you know, all, all the things that you might own in your Second Life account on a blockchain, it's just in a publicly accessible database that is managed by Second Life. And this kind of, this is very nerdy, but it kind of cuts to us uh, one of the many big debates when it comes to the usefulness of blockchain technology, which is the blockchain is a distributed database. That's what a blockchain mm-hmm. is. It's a it's a database that instead of being on one server or one computer, it is on a whole shitload of, can we curse on Gadget Lab? It's sure. on a whole boatload. Okay. Um, uh, it's on everybody's computer all the time. And Philip's point was a lot of the appeal of the blockchain might be just in the transparency part of it. And you don't need a blockchain to achieve that. You can, a, a public a centralized database that is public may actually accomplish a lot of what you need there. So all your transactions and ownership and the price of assets in Second Life is kept on this Second Life database. Um, and then the other thing that we talked about was Second Life's approach to to goods, because you know he 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 refers to the things he buys and sells as NFTs, but again, they're not technically on the blockchain because this is coming from a pre-blockchain world. And so you can buy and sell digital goods within Second Life. And in fact, that's how Second Life makes money is by taking a, a commission essentially on mm-hmm. these sales. Or that's IAPs. one of the ways it makes money. Yeah. And I, I pushed him on this because one thing that I'm very skeptical of is, okay, let's say that we're skeeved out by the idea of surveillance advertising migrating to uh, the, the metaverse, whatever that looks like. Are we really so sure that it's a much healthier business model for people to be buying and selling a bunch of stuff that doesn't even exist? And what he had to say was, look, if you, if you look at this NFT mania that's happening right now, or where people are spending thousands of dollars on just utterly trivial collector's items just to kind of prove in-group status, oh, I, I, I own a bored ape, congratulations. Uh, that's obviously kind of economically crazy. But he said, that doesn't mean that digital goods have no value. You know, just because if if you, I think the example he gave was, you know, you might show up to an in-person meeting wearing designer shoes because you look good. Well, you might want to look good in, in the, the metaverse. Very, yeah, there's that's, it's, it's no more arbitrary to want to look good in virtual reality. So are digital goods worth as much as physical real life goods? No, they don't. You know, you don't have to pay for the physical resources, but does that mean that they're worth nothing? No. 
There's a lot more to unpack here just about NFTs alone, I think. And we have talked about this before on earlier episodes of the Gadget Lab. Um, Kate Nibbs came on at one point and joined us to talk about how she sold an NFT. This was like a year ago. So I feel like we were very ahead of the curve at that point. <laughs> but I recommend you go through our back catalog if you'd like to listen to that one. And it's probably something we're going to address again in the future. I believe the title of that episode, which I also co-hosted, was NFT WTF. Uh, WTF. <laughs> that seems like R. something. WTF are NFTs, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. But close Good enough. One. Galad, close enough. <laughs> okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with our quick recommendations. Glad, I have to say I'm tempted to go to you first just because your recommendations are typically off the wall, but Adrian is our guest of honor this week. So Adrian, what is your recommendation? Well, in case you weren't able to tell from my segment, we're all truly going through it right now. <laughs> and I just decided that this is the time for me to book my fifth tattoo. And to my horror, every single good a botanical artist in Portland that does good fine black and white line work, um, very specific demographic, which is really prevalent here in the city of tattooed hippie witches, but they're all booked out like through March. So if you like have some things that you need to express by getting inked, I suggest looking up your favorite tattoo artist and getting on their books now because there is, there is a significant backlog. So it's, it's so your, your recommendation is, um, apply long-term thinking to the uh, goal of getting a tattoo, which is something that doesn't <laughs> happen too often. I don't know. Tattoos tattoos are forever, Galad. <laughs> I'm actually kind of blown away to learn that you ha already have four tattoos because, so to the listeners out there, Adrian has a very kind of wholesome vibe, obviously, you know, putting out some mom energy into the world. And I've also just <laughs> been in your physical presence and not noticed that you were tatted up. So uh, as far as my parents know, I don't have any mom cover earmuffs, mom earmuffs. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it's this is part this is part of my brand, my part of my brand, Galad, Adrian, not a gamer, not tattooed. So, so. It's all you're living a lot. You're living a second life, Adrian. <laughs> I'm Good one. <laughs> Ooh, I bet people will be charging tattoo artists in the metaverse to tat up their virtual avatars. Oh, that's such Definitely. a good idea. I, yeah. The lines in the metaverse would probably be shorter than the real ones yeah. at this point. <laughs> Doesn't Do hurt you have as any much. Tattoos? No, I don't have any tattoos and I never will. Okay. <laughs> That's when you're, Lauren, you're supposed to say, why mess with perfection? Why Aww, thanks, mess Lauren. with perfection? Thank you. That's why, so sweet. You know, why mar anything Thank when you. it's already perfect? Um, but okay. Adrian, okay. also, okay, we get it. I respect that you are going to get a fifth tattoo at some point. If I can help in any way, let me know. You can come down to San Francisco and get it done. It'd be really fun. Yay. All right, Galad, he who does not have any tattoos. I must ask you now, what is your recommendation this week? It's not off the wall. It, it's food related. Uh, it's like basically a recipe. I've been enjoying making uh, mashed cauliflower recently. So it sounds like a sad, healthy version of mashed potatoes, uh, but it's not. It's a good, healthy version of mashed potatoes because cauliflower. I like cauliflower, and uh, and it's also quite a bit lighter than mashed potatoes, which can sometimes be pretty heavy. So you just chop up your cauliflower boil it for quite a long time to get it nice and so I mean not an hour but you know probably good 25 30 minutes I would say um, drain it 
mash it up. And then I've actually, the last time I did it, I used the immersion blender to get it a really nice, smooth Ooh. consistency. And and then because you're doing cauliflower, you feel more, or I feel more liberated to put in quite a bit of butter. And then I also like to put in a, a good bit of Greek yogurt, which is creamy, uh, but also has some tang and some acidity to it, uh, which is really good for the flavor. And then obviously you can go, you know, you can, ex- you can customize this however you want, but just throwing that out there, you know, it's a, it's a nice side dish and uh, you feel good about eating it, but it actually tastes good. And you could sprinkle some CBD gummies on top. Absolutely. Get crazy <laughs> with it. Is this your own recipe? Yeah, I'm sure I didn't invent it, but I, I nor did I consult a recipe to achieve it. Okay. Glad you're actually a pretty good cook. I mean, you haven't tasted it. So, no, but, but, I, but I've had, um, what, what did you make at your house that time? Oh, that was good. Yeah, I made some, I made some chicken tinga tacos. Yeah, yeah thanks, Lauren. I'm glad you remember really that. Good. And then you had, um, what, what was the, the, oh, it wasn't tzatziki. It was, um, I made baba, baba ganoush. ganoush. Baba it wasn't, ganoush. that, that was kind of a failure, but we'll, we'll try again. I thought it was pretty good. Thank you. Okay. Um, Lauren, do you have any recommendations? <laughs> 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 I recommend that Galad gets a tattoo. <laughs> And a Quest 2 headset. And a Quest 2 headset. We have big plans for you, Galad. Yeah. I'm going to be a tatted Welcome gamer. Welcome to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, yeah, my recommendation this week does have to do with the metaverse. Um, I recommend Beat Saber in, in Meta, I almost said Oculus again, Meta Quest 2. I was playing Beat Saber the other night with my brother. Um, he was in town visiting, and at some point I said, we've got to get you in the metaverse. I didn't really say that. I just said, do you want to try the Oculus? And he said, sure. So I downloaded Beat Saber. It's $30. Um, I think it's more if you decide to buy the packs of um, artist-led series. Like you Lauren, know, what like a- is it? Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, well, you're holding like virtual lightsabers. It's it's a game slash workout app where you're you're standing on like you know. I'm very bad at describing games because I actually am not a gamer, TM. But you're like standing on like a platform in the virtual world, and these blocks are flying at you, and they're color coded, and they also have arrows pointing in the direction that you're supposed to swing at. And then in each of your hands, where you're holding the Oculus control, pardon me, the Meta controllers. Oh fuck it, I'm just gonna say Oculus all the time. Controllers. <laughs> you you then have to sort of swing at the blocks flying at you. You also have to duck to avoid certain objects and um, veer side to side. And there's this really great hypey pumping music that's guiding you through it. And then if you decide that you want to try one of the artist series like Billie Eilish or Lady Gaga, then you pay more for those packs. But I just, I was just playing along to the generic music and actually it was quite good. So it sounds like it's a little bit like a a cross between Guitar Hero where you're doing things timed to music that's flying at you. Yes. And a virtual, like a a sport, you know, some kind of sports game where you're swinging stuff and moving your body. Exactly. It it wasn't all that different from Fit XR, which is the other game that Adrian and I mentioned we've been playing too. In that case, you're just using your fists to box. But um, yeah, you're holding lightsabers. What is more fun than swinging at things with lightsabers? And and getting it back to the uh, metaverse and social engagement question, when you're in Fit XR, you're standing next to each other. Uh, next to people that you're playing with, but in Beat Saber, you can you you can face each other, so you can see how bad your friends are flailing <laughs> at Beat Saber. If I have it, <laughs> I'm so I'm so good at descriptions. Does everyone want to play with me? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> to the both of you, Adrian and Galad, thank you so much for joining me this week. Galad, thanks for being a great co-host. Thank And thanks for leaving me to do this alone in the office, guys. Appreciate it. Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, and thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. We'll put our handles in there. We also love it when you leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. So feel free to do that and we'll be sure to read them. This show is produced by the excellent Boone Ashworth, who listened to us painstakingly describe the metaverse yet again. Boone, we love you in both the metaverse and in real life. Goodbye for now. We'll be back next week. Thank you.